Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Oh, be praised today, Lord. Lord, in things, as Josh was saying, that may have seemed insignificant, that carry the most significance. So, Lord, posture our hearts toward you as our King that we would bow. Posture our hearts toward your word, Lord, that we would have soft hearts, not just to have lips that honor you, but hearts that honor you and lives that honor you. God, we pray for a new church plant in West Ashley today, for Harbor City Church and Jonathan Lanker and as they're getting started. And Lord, we pray for them as they just long, as we do, to see people that are far from God to know and follow Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for them as they are, even in the new stages of church planting, talking with another church about a possible merger. Lord, we pray for grace and wisdom for them and that other church that I'm assuming is, is not doing well. Lord, that this would revitalize them, encourage them on your mission and your kingdom work. And Lord, they ask, as many church plants do, for financial provision. Lord, we pray for them that you would give grace to this new start. Lord, that, that small infant church, Lord, that you would give provision in so many different ways. Lord, as we've prayed for many a church plant in that same way, encourage them. Lord, encourage our hearts as we love and support and care for other churches. Lord, that we wouldn't think we are the brightest or the best. We wouldn't think that we are the A-team, Lord, that we would, we would see you use the foolish things of the world. You use the insignificant things of the world to confound the wise, but the gospel is the wisdom. Christ is the wisdom. And so let us walk out your wisdom by your word and honor and cherish you alone, that we really would treasure and apply and proclaim the gospel not just theoretically, not just as a mantra or a saying each week, but we would, we would embody that individually and corporately. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks for worshiping together. Thank you, band, for leading us. Our children can go ahead and be dismissed. Thank you, Hope Kids workers, for serving the next generation. We're going to talk about, about that in our text a little bit today. I uh, wanted to let you know as our kids are leaving that today we end our psalm series where we've looked at different big genres of, of different psalms. Uh, next week, though, we begin our Advent series, and because the psalm series has been so rich, we have handpicked four psalms for our Advent series. So it's kind of continuing, but it's kind of not. So we're not looking at specific genres, but we are going to look at some psalms as we prepare and anticipate thinking about the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Well, here's a question for you. If you could say anything to the next generation, so whatever your generation is, just think the next generation behind you. If you could say anything to the next generation and you knew they would listen, what would you tell them? You knew they would listen. What would you tell them? What would you implore them to think, believe? How would you encourage them to act? 
In today's final song of David in Psalm 145, which you're welcome to go ahead and turn there, I imagine David as an older king writing this psalm, looking back at his life with many ups and many downs, obedience and bravery, failure and cowardice. And yet the whole time as his, this old man looks back, he sees the faithful hand of God in his life. And here's what he would tell the next generation. He would tell them to praise God. And he would tell them or, or implore them, join me in the praising of God. Let's look at Psalm 145 together, this final Psalm of David. It says this, this is God's holy word. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and, your, and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word. This is the psalm in the genre called praise or rejoicing. It's sometimes what we think of when we think of psalms, praise or rejoicing. But what we found in this psalm series is all the psalms, actually, a lot of them aren't praise or rejoicing. For weeks we studied lament, corporate lament, personal lament. But what's interesting is the psalms end, lament is not the final word of the psalms. The last five psalms have this upward trajectory of praise and rejoicing in God. Lament doesn't have the final word for the psalms, and lament doesn't have the final word in all of Scripture. It is an upward look at the Lord's faithfulness. But what's interesting is Psalm 145 is in one of the 
in the last book of the Psalms. There's five different books, if you will, of the Psalms, the way they separate them. And the book five is known as the songs that, they, that, the, that Israel sang coming out of exile. These are the Psalms they sang after they struggled through 70 years in Babylon. This is what they sang. This is what they needed to sing. These people who were struggling, they just experienced loss of home, loss of loved ones, loss of the felt presence of God. And here's what they pull out. They pull out one of David's psalms, put them in book five, because David knows they need this. He knows the next generation needs this. He knows that our generation needs this. And friends, here's what we're going to study today in Psalm 145. Five qualities that make for a faithful generation. Five qualities that make for a faithful generation. So buckle up. It is a five-point sermon. So you guys who are used to the three-point sermon, bear with me. On point three, we got two more. And the first three are the longest. So you're going to be like, we're done. No, we're not. (laughs) Faithful generation will be point number one, daily praising God's unsearchable greatness. Daily praising God's unsearchable greatness. Look at verse 1. I will extol you, my God and King. This praise psalm of David shows that this old king is pumped about the greatness of God. And note that though David is the most powerful king of the time, he's not focused on himself. He's focused on the king of kings. You see, David has been humble and David has been humbled. He realizes that people don't need to look at him and revere him. His ambition is to point them to God. Friends, is your ambition to point others to yourself or to God? Pointing away from ourselves, pointing to God's greatness. See, David continues, I will bless your name, God, forever and ever. David has no intention of temporary thoughts of God, temporary adoration of God. No, this king wants to continue this. He knows life is short, breaths are few. He's older at this point. His heart's going to stop at some point. But his life in eternity is going to be blessing God. I will bless your name, God, forever and ever and ever. God is worthy of forever praise, and David wants to be a part of it. But prior to the forever of eternity, when will David praise Yahweh? Friends, this is massively important. Verse number two, when will David praise Yahweh? First words there, every day. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Notice that worshiping God is not just a Sabbath thing or a Sunday thing. It's it's an everyday thing. It's an everyday endeavor, an everyday gift. This is why we exist, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Every day is a day to honor, to worship, to live our lives with the, the single passion and focus of honoring God. Life is to be lived out worshiping. And I don't mean singing. You can sing, but worship is not just singing. Life is to be lived out, worshiping God through our words, through our work, through our parenting, through our sports activities, through our studying and schooling and interacting with roommates and spouses, through enjoying food, enjoying free time. All of life is to be lived worshiping God. Every day I will bless you. 
God. I want to live my life every day focused on you, God. That's what David's getting at. And he's calling a generation to join him. Verse 3, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. You will not come to the bottom of God's greatness or to an end of God's greatness. You can look deep and wide and far and long and God's greatness does not stop. Friends, as we plummet the depths of studying God through his word, that's called theology. Theos is God. Ology is study of the study of God. As we, as we plummet the depths of God's word, let our heart be warmed by his greatness. Let us marvel, sometimes with tears, sometimes with awed laughter at the greatness of God and his personal care of us. Friends, he's not just great and distant. He's personal and caring. You, you read about David. He is not dispassionate about God. Friends, are you dispassionate about God and how you talk of him? Is he a distant uncle? Or is he near? You have the the same care and love and affection that David has here. He's not praising an impersonal God. No, his, his heart is warmed with affection. This old king has walked years knowing and being known by God. And when you feel that affection, you want others to feel that affection. This is what David wants to pass down to the next generation and the next and the next and that would come all the way to us. So second point, second quality of faithful generation is this, purposeful passing down God's story. Purposely passing down God's story. When we are daily praising God's greatness, we want others to know. And who are the first people we want to know? Those who are around us, our family, our kids. Look at verse 4. One generation shall commend your works to another. In the Hebrew, it can literally be generation to generation will commend his works. It's generations passing it down. The emphasis is on the passing down the story of God, the work of God, the word of God through the lips of the previous generation to the next generation. Friends, this is our job. If you're a parent, you know this well. It's super clear in Scripture. Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 7 says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, parents. Next verse. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You pass it on. You own it. You live it. And you pass it on. It's purposefully passing on God's story to the next generation. We'll be studying the book of Joshua in the spring, and there's this moment in Joshua chapter 4 where uh, they're crossing the Jordan, the Ark of the Covenant, and all cross the Jordan, and God tells them to pull these big old rocks up to make this mound. And do you know why he tells them to do that? It's not for the generation who crossed. It says, when your children ask in the time to come. Not if your children ask. Oh, we have curious children, right? God made them curious. Some of us have kids who don't stop asking questions, and we're like, please, for the love, please, not one more question. When your children, when your children ask in time to come, God made our kids curious so that parents can te teach big truths 
about God's reality and God's presence and God's purpose in every life situation. What is God doing? But friends, it's not just the parents. It's one generation passing down God's truth, God's mighty acts to the next. And it's not just the parents. Whether you're a parent, it's, it, whether it's your kid or someone else's kid, you feel the responsibility of being a disciple and making disciples. God's people have always praised God and then passed it down to the next generation. So this is not just talking about parenting. This is talking about living. You pass it to the next generation. This is one of the reasons we as a church are passionate about discipleship, passionate about reproducing ourselves, multiplication. This is why we're passionate about our parent youth ministry, our, our hope kids ministry. It's why we care about things and want to live out things in like Titus 2 where older women teach younger women, older men teach younger men. That's what we do in our discipleship groups, our D groups. One generation shall commend your works to another. But notice in Psalm 145, the first generation is not under some rigid, dry obligation of passing down God's teaching to the next generation. This is just what we have to do. Okay, check the box. No, it is a joy to them. God's word and works for the first generation is something they dwell on. They get excited about. Look at verse 5. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. I meditate on this. I contemplate this. It's lingering thoughts about God and his splendor and his majesty. Friends, is that your meditation? Is that what you think on? Linger on? Is that normal for you? Or you join the hymn that says, ponder anew what the Almighty can do. When you're driving, when you're thinking, as you're heading to sleep, is this on your thoughts? Do you have a zeal and passion for God? Do you ponder what God is up to, how He is working, marveling at His grace, praying big prayers, dreaming big dreams about what God wants to do in your life, maybe your kid's life, maybe your community group's life, the church's life? What is God up to? Eager expectation and faithful plotting in the normal, in the ordinary, the good moments, the hard moments. Ponder anew. Turn the screen off and ponder anew what the Almighty can do. Verse 6. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. Now, the word they there is actually a little hard to tell what it's speaking of. It could be the works of God. They speak of the might or the word of God, the way the Hebrew is there, could be the word of God is, is, is what is spoken of. Or it could be the next generation, the second generation now praising God. Now, we know that God's work and his word speak of his awesome deeds, but there's a wonderful joy in seeing the next generation speak of God's awesome deeds. Tell you what, I don't know how many times it's just enjoyable. I think seven different times this past year, we've had teenagers and young people standing here reading their testimonies as they're getting ready to head out to be baptized in our parking lot. They're speaking of the awesome deeds of God. 
of his work in their lives. And we're celebrating the, the, the symbol of their union and communion with God, their, their union and going down into the water and coming up, being united to the Christ, being united to the church family. And as we take communion, un, communing with Christ and communing with church family. So let me speak for a moment to that next generation. So I'm just, I don't even know what age I want to speak to. So like, let's just say in your 20s and under, okay? If you're older than that, you can still listen. Friends, we want to pass down the gospel message and gospel practice to you. We want you to go further than we can. We've planted this church We've been given property and buildings and currently have no debt as a church. And we want to pass on that stewardship to you. We've sought to have a DNA of church planting. We've sought to have a DNA of sending missionaries to unreached people groups. We've sought to have a DNA of expository verse-by-verse preaching and gospel-centered singing. We want to pass that to you. But may the Lord stir you to go further. More churches planted, more missionaries sent, deeper study in God's Word, more faithful stewardship of the Lord's finances and things that He's given us. May you be a light of the gospel in this community. May you truly treasure and apply and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the first generation sees the work of God in your life, next generation, We will join with what David says in verse 6. I will declare your greatness, God. It's you, God, who does marvelous things in our eyes. For look at verse 7. They, the next generation. Oh, I love this. Just picture this next generation and this describing them. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. A sea of millennials and Gen Z and Gen Alpha, which I didn't even know what that was until I looked it up this week. That's 12 and under. Like a sea of them praising and worshiping God. Praising God for His righteousness, His goodness to them. A righteousness that's not inherently theirs, but, but Christ died for them, accredited them to stand and sit in His righteousness. His work through His incarnation, His substitution, His resurrection on their behalf. And they are spending their lives for Christ. Oh, we pray for that next generation. We pray for that, that the Holy Spirit would do that. Because you can't do that. You can't conjure that up. You can't be like, yeah! No, it's got to be the Spirit working in you. And friends, for our generation, older generation, younger generation, we all need some truth here that's in this text. Two major truths for each generation that this text kind of bubbles up to the surface about God that we've got to hold on to. Two things. One is that God is great, the greatness of God. And secondly, God is good. Some of you teach your kids this. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Like, you do that. Those are massive truths. God's greatness and God's goodness. If you lose either one of those, you fall, you fail, and you do not last. Why? If you think God is great, but he's not good, he's just a distant tyrant. If you think God is good, but he is not great, he's not sovereign, he's not in control. Friends, we must hold those together, his greatness and his goodness. 
Christopher Ashe says it this way of this psalm. He says, David praised God for precisely the two attributes that our problem of evil says can't simultaneously be true. Those things that the world will say, no, God can't be both of those. Either he's great or he's good, but he's not both. David over and over and over and over speaks of God's goodness and God's greatness. And we'll continue to see that in this psalm. Why do we need to know those categories? Why harp on that to our generation, the older generation, the younger generation? When we suffer, when we struggle, when we question God allowing pain in our lives, we will question his goodness. When we see evil in the world, we will question his greatness. And this psalm beckons us to rest in the truth. Join the praise of Psalm 145 that God is both great and good. We need this, friends, because when life is hard, when we're suffering, when we have the test of adversity, oh, friends, we're going to need to know that God is great. He's massive, but He's also good. And we can be be an example of trusting God to the next generation. And when life is calm and happy and easy, which it rarely is, and we experience the test of prosperity, we can show the next generation that our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in Christ because He is great, He is good, He is worthy of praise. And friends, let us remember the context of when Israel and Judah were singing this song. They just came out of exile. It's not like things are peachy. Seventy years they've been in exile. 70 years in Babylon. They knew adversity. And so these people who lived adversity are singing on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. It's a big deal, guys. It's one thing to suffer. It's another to suffer well. We're all going to suffer. We live in a life where there's death and resurrection all the time. It's real. It's functional Christianity. Will we trust God? Will we live our lives dominated by knowing God? A faithful generation will daily be praising God's goodness and greatness. A faithful generation will purposely pass down, be passing down God's story. Third point, a faithful generation will be remembering God's character. Remembering God's character. Look at verse 8. The Lord is gracious, there it is again, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all He has made. That might sound familiar to you. If you've been around the Bible a few times, that should sound familiar to you. It's from Exodus chapter 34. The people of Israel had rebelled against Yahweh. They basically said, this golden calf over here, this is what delivered us from Egypt. Let's worship this golden calf. It parted the Red Sea. Look at it. And God's like, not too pleased about that. So God basically says, hey, you think that worked out well for you? Let's, you go on to the promised land. I'm going to just stay back and let's see how that works out for you. And Moses is like, whoa, 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 God. No, like he says this, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. If you're not with us, God, don't, we don't want to go. 
Moses gets it. People of Israel were not getting it. Moses gets it. He basically knows what Jesus is going to say later. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Moses says to God, I need your presence. I need your glory near me. God, please show me your glory. God passes by Moses in Exodus 34 and has a self-declaration. This is massively important because God doesn't speak for like declaring who he is a ton of times in the Bible. So this is a self-declaration, not Moses talking about God or later David talking about God. This is God talking about God. And David is saying the next generation needs to know what God says about God. Here's what he says. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all he has made. Imagine the aged King David writing this psalm and with the scroll of Exodus right beside him. And he's looking at Exodus 34 there and he's writing what this says. God telling us about God. Yahweh is gracious, friends. God gives good to those who don't deserve it. That's called grace. God withholds punishment from those who do deserve punishment. That's mercy. Yahweh is slow to anger. Friends, many of us think that God is quick to anger, fast with temper, but that's not what the Bible says. Let me just... Ask our friend Dane Ortland to speak to us here from his wonderful book, Gentle and Lowly, which we have free copies in the lobby. You're welcome to grab one. He says this, We tend to think divine anger is pent up. It's spring-loaded. And divine mercy is slow to build. It's just the opposite. Divine mercy is ready to burst forth at the slightest prick. Yahweh needs no provoking to love, only to anger. We need no provoking to anger, only to love. Once again, the Bible is one long attempt to deconstruct our natural vision of who God actually is. God is slow to anger and slower to anger than you and I even think right now. Next, Yahweh shows steadfast love. It's not a wavering love. It's not a fickle love. It's a steady love, a faithful love, a persistent love. It's not a love we deserve or earned kind of love. No, God loves us based on who he is. He chose us and chose to love us even while we were running from him. And friends, if you don't know the love of God through Jesus Christ, let me encourage you to read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and get to know who Jesus is. There's this persistence of love that Jesus shows over and over and over as, as the King. And he seeks and saves the lost. It's a rescue mission of persistent, steadfast love. Get to know Jesus. If you think God is, is quick to anger, flip over to the Gospels, friends. Spend some time in the Gospels. Get to know Jesus. Verse 9 continues, Yahweh is good to all. His mercy is over all he has made. His mercy is everywhere. Friends, just picture you guys who have lived here very long, like Late February, early March, we start hitting like some, some heat comes for a little while and the stuff called pollen happens. And that yellow stuff is 
everywhere. You can wash your car, and, and 30 minutes later, it is, it is yellow again, right? It's everywhere. It's just every, it gets in everything. It's in your lungs. You hack it up. It's, it's in your car. It's in your house. It's on your shoes. It's everywhere. God's mercy is everywhere. It's everywhere. It's over all He has made. But friends, let's note that these same words that are praised from the lips of David are an accusation from Jonah. Same words. It's a praise from David. It's an accusation from Jonah. Look at Jonah. Jonah, Jonah uh, when the Ninevites repent, whom Jonah hates the Ninevites, it says in Jonah 4, verse 2, O Lord, here's Jonah, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious... Can someone turn their phone off? Thank you. I knew that you are gracious and you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah takes these same words from Exodus 34, from Psalm 145, and says, No, God, I don't want you to be gracious and merciful to them. Friends, we can, we can know the character of God, but some of us actually don't like it. If it's those people whom he saves and serves and loves and cares about, Friends, do you like the character of God when it's for other people too? Do you take comfort in God's character or do you resent God's character? David invites us to sing and enjoy the character of God. Friends, a faithful generation needs to know the character of God. They need to know who he is as king and submit to him as rule of their lives. And the fourth thing a, a, a faithful generation needs to remember is remembering God's kingdom. Look at verse 10. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generation. So David just continues to reiterate God's greatness. There are four verses in this section, and he speaks four times of God's kingdom. You're the glory of your kingdom, the splendor of your kingdom, the everlasting kingdom, and the kingdom is enduring. James Hamilton summarizes this section in this way. I think this is so helpful. God has never been and will never be dethroned. His kingdom will not be overthrown. His reign and rule never ceases. Friends, we must know the kingdom, but we must know the king of the kingdom, Jesus Christ, the forever king that David was, was, was learning or learned about in 2 Samuel chapter 7 of this forever king that wasn't going to be him. It wasn't going to be uh, his son. It was going to be some forever king that always sits on the throne. 
He looks forward toward that. David wants generations to celebrate that. Friends, that king is Jesus Christ, who right now sits on his throne, having lived a perfect life, died a substitutionary death, rose from the dead, and calls people to himself. Do you know Jesus as your king? Do you know Jesus as your king in every area of your life? Is his kingdom the highest priority? Oh, we know the saying, seek first the kingdom of God. But do we actually seek second, third, fourth the kingdom of God in our lives, in our finances, in our marriage, in our workplace, in our studies, in our relationships with friends or family? Is it seeking first Oh, Lord, let us submit to our King and remember Him as King. And the last part of the psalm celebrates the King's provision to His people. I wish I could spend more time on this, but we got to go quickly. This is what God's people are to do. They're, a faithful generation is to be resting in God's provision, resting in God's provision. The second part of verse 13, the Lord is faithful in all His words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. Let all flesh bless his holy name forever. The Lord Yahweh is faithful, but to whom is God faithful? Verse 14, all who are falling. God is faithful to all who are falling. Verse 18, all who call on him. Verse 19, all who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. Verse 20, all who love him. So friends, are you falling today? Maybe you struggled and stumbled this week or last night and you're like, oh Lord, is there forgiveness for this? In Jesus, yes, there is. Run to the cross of Christ. He's there for the falling. Are you calling? Lord, where are you? I don't understand. He's there. He's faithful to the calling. Are you fearing? Because there's stuff in your life that's, that's fearful. We're to fear God, but maybe we're fearing circumstances or relationships or finances or something else in our life. And we're just, we're gripped by fear. He's faithful to the fearing. And friends, do you love him? He He's faithful to those who it says love him. He provides for them. Note the invitation from our king and the description of our king. He acts differently than all other royalty. James Hamilton summarizes 14 through 20 this way. Often those with great power and glory stop caring about the weak and lowly. Luxury, privilege, and responsibility often result in those who 
are exalted being out of touch, unconcerned, and sometimes callous. Get this, not so with Yahweh. Not so with Yahweh. Not so with Yahweh. Not so with our king. Our king cares. Our king loves. Our king leads. He is he's the tender shepherd to the weak. He's the bread of life to the hungry. He's the fountain of living water to the thirsty. He's the light of the world to those caught in darkness. He's the way, truth, and life to the wandering, confused, and dying. Verse 20 says, the Lord preserves. That can be translated, the Lord watches over. Friends, the Lord is watching over you. He is near to those who've trusted Christ who are adopted into his family. He's near to to you in his care and his love. Friends, a faithful generation will cherish this truth, will cherish this truth, remember this truth, and then want to pass on this truth. Friends, we looked at five different ways a faithful generation is to act, daily praising for God's unsearchable greatness, personally passing down God's story, remembering his character, remembering God's kingdom, and resting in God's provision. In 1670, a young German man was in his early 20s. His name is Joachim Neander. Joachim Neander attended a church service with some friends. This just kind of makes me laugh when I read about this. He, He attends a church service with some friends for mischievous purposes of criticizing the pastor and the congregation and the gospel message. They came for amusement and kind of wanting an argument. But as Neander heard the preaching of God's word, God touched his heart. A few years later, God would use this now converted um, Joachim Neander to serve that same church under that same pastor, no longer criticizing the gospel, but preaching the gospel. Upon Neander's conversion, he started writing some hymns. What he did not know is in just a few years, he was going to die. He had less than 10 years from conversion to his death. But Neander wanted to pass down the praises of God to the next generation. And friends, he had no clue that his writing in 1670 would be passed down to generation. Those short years that God would allow him to live would be praise that would last in the church for generations. For in his 20s, he penned these familiar words. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty the king of creation. Oh, my soul, praise him, for he is thy health and salvation. All ye who hear, now to his temple draw near, praise him in glad adoration. Verse 3 says this, Praise to the Lord who doth prosper thy work and defend thee. Surely his goodness and mercy here daily attend thee. Get this, ponder anew. What the Almighty can do if with his love he befriend thee. Friends, let us be people who ponder anew, like that 20-something-year-old who sat pinning this hymn that we know and sing, or the old king 
who wrote the psalm. Friends, let us ponder anew the glory of God in our lives and let us then be a generation that passes the glory of God to those behind us. Let's pray. Robbie, you can come on up. Father, we pray that we would be a faithful generation. Lord, that we would be those who extol our God and King and bless your name forever and ever. Lord, that every day we would bless you and praise your name forever and ever. For your great, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Your greatness is unsearchable. Friends, let us be a, a generation that commends your works to another and let that generation receive it and go further. Lord, you are worthy of more praise than we can even give you. So Lord, let, let this small praise from our lips, let the small acts of service, let the, the small moments of belief glorify you, our King, who knows the small, for you are great, who knows the weak and despised, for you are merciful and gracious. Oh, Lord, be honored in our lives, King Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing that hymn.